ultimately we're really still cavemen and we think we're not because we've got all these fancy gadgets and all that kind of stuff but actually hey everyone and welcome to rca's new business culture podcast series my name is rob arnold founder of rca this podcast is all about learning from those in business who have shaped world-class business cultures how they did it and what they faced along the way in building these great cultures we look forward to sharing their insights tips and tricks with you episode I got to chat with Simon Eakin, a prominent performance and life coach based in Cape Town. Simon has worked with an interesting cross-section of professionals across the sporting and business worlds. Growing up in the UK, Sai speaks of his time serving in the army to ultimately stumbling onto performance coaching and falling in love with South Africa. Thanks as always to our friends from Spaces for providing the venue. Sai, thanks very much for joining us today. It's absolutely lovely to have you part of our podcast journey. And um, as we do at the beginning of every interview, we, uh, we love to give our listeners context as to the person we're talking to and, and what their journey has been. So in your own words, give us your brief um, journey up to today. Sure. Thank you. Uh, it's a real pleasure to be in this conversation with you. Uh, we've... Uh, We've had a, we've got to know each other over the years, and as I was saying to you before, I've loved your efficiency and your the smoothness with which you appear <laughs> to operate. And I suppose you know, yeah, exactly. Well, it's the same for all of us because it's a bit like the swan above, you know, what you see above the surface versus those that hard paddling underneath. Um, so I think uh, what I'll do is start with I, I think the word that kind of hooked us into this conversation, which is courage, and what I like to call myself as a teacher of courage, but the market doesn't respond very well to that for, for whatever reason. But if I, when I say teacher of courage, I, I also very quickly say student of courage. Mm. And um, that word courage is really an extraordinary word, which most of us can relate to, whether it's you know, uh, um, saving Private Ryan or having difficult conversations. But for me, courage is, is much more the internal stuff. Mm. Bravery is the external stuff. So. So when I talk about courage and bravery and the distinction between the two, uh, bravery, bullets, battles, and bears. And courage is about consciousness, uh, about communication, uh, and clarity, really. So I, I'm a, because I'm, I, my memory, I don't rely on my memory very well, I, I like to keep things as simple as I can to remember them. So the Bs of bravery and the Cs of courage. And, and courage to me is, um, if you look at the word itself, uh, it comes from core, meaning uh, the Latin for heart, mm-hmm. and age, meaning movement. So it's movement from the heart. In other words, action from the heart. And often we know as human beings what we want to say. We know actually what we want to do. Mm-hmm. And, and it's just pure and easy and joyful. And then the thought comes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the thought of, you know, what will people think? Will I screw it up again? Um, what if I don't get it right? All of that stuff, which is which is not our fault. Mm. Uh, it's really just it's just the mind, and it's more than that. It's 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 survival. Yeah. So so, without getting into a, a long physiological conversation, ultimately we're really still cavemen mm. and women, and we think we're not because we've got all these fancy gadgets and all that kind of stuff. Mm. But actually, when push comes to shove, that's the world that we're living in. Yeah. So when someone cuts us up, 
uh, in the traffic and we irrationally lose our, you know, become blind with fury. It's nothing to do with a, it's really not yeah. a big deal, but we believe in that moment that our lives are threatened. So um, when I say teacher of courage, um, I, my, my, if I go back and then come back to courage uh, and how it started. So um, I, I've lived, a, I suppose, a, a fairly conventional life. I was born in the UK. I moved in 1967 mm -hmm. and um, I moved to, uh, my, my dad's a clergyman, so we moved to um, Durban and spent seven years in Durban so um, and then left to go back to England when I was 10 and those formative years really between the ages in Durban particularly between, mm. between the ages of three and ten were really instrumental for me and it's where my love of South Africa was kind of born okay. I went back to England I uh, finished off my schooling and then I what happened after that that was significant so I, I finished off my schooling and I wanted to, uh, I was very into fitness and running and cycling and stuff. And I, one year when I was 16, I fell, I'm, I'm, I went on a skiing holiday and I fell in love with this, with this wee Scottish lassie. <laughs> and, um, uh, and she was really lovely and there was nothing really in it. I mean, mm. I don't, it, nothing really happened between us, but we, in those days we got writing to each other and so on and so forth. And I found myself on a bicycle cycling up from Oxford uh, in the UK up to the north of Scotland okay. and um, and I'd timed it all beautifully and she was she was royalty right mm. so, so she they were kind of they were Scottish royalty in fact they they had two castles and um, the one of them was mentioned in Macbeth so it was like I'm like oh Simon Eakin like here I go right this is the big league right so I packed my uh, bags with my three-piece tweed suit as you do when you go on a bicycle trip um, and I got there and it was a complete failure. So I knocked on the door and I could see myself, it was gonna be like, this is the start of a great relationship and I'm gonna be married at Westminster Abbey and it's all gonna go down. And, and when I got there, she completely ignored me for the four days that I was there and I got on my bicycle and I came back down again. Yeah. But it taught me a very valuable lesson and the very valuable lesson I learned was, um, you know, it's not really so much about the achievement of goals but it's the process of life that is far more interesting than the outcome because often we get to a stage with an outcome and we think well when i get that and we've all been in that situation when i get that promotion when i get that relationship when i get and have you noticed how it's never like the paint mm. barely the paint is barely dried before it's like oh no man she does that or it does that or something of that nature so it was a really really powerful lesson yeah and then a few years later, I left uh, school and I went on a, uh, sorry, let's go back to, to when I left school, I joined the British Army. So I was in the British Army for five and a half years uh, as an infantry platoon commander. And I traveled around many places in the world, which was really amazing. And it was, it was quite, a, quite a strange thing in a way, being in a kind of peacetime voluntary army. Yeah. I mean, I, the, 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 the um, uh, what's the term? The opportunities that present themselves with, mm. uh, with, through courses and all sorts of stuff it was absolutely amazing. Yeah. So I went to Kenya, Jordan, Norway, Cyprus, skiing, sub aqua diving. It was incredible. Sure. Um, and then before I joined the army, I was I did a, um, a year, I took a year off and I went to India to the subcontinent and which features my 
uh, question about the best restaurant, by the way. <laughs> uh, and and then Southern Africa. And I can't, I was on the way back from flying back from um, South Africa, looking out of the window. Uh, I think it was Tanzania, and I looked out the window, and one thing led to another, and the idea was born that I would I wanted to bicycle from one end of Africa to the other. And what was fascinating about that is, you know, is that where was that in my plan? Mm. You know, we often think, well, I speak for myself, I often think like, okay, I'm in charge here, right? There's my goal. Mm. I can see it, it's very clear, and now I need to do this, 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 and this. And then, and then, as John Lennon said, you know what, life is what happens when we're, ba when we're busy making other plans, right? Yeah. So what I'm noticing as I get older and hopefully a little bit wiser is that, is to have a kind of light grip approach to intentions and objectives mm -hmm. and say, okay, well, I, I think I want to go there and what am I going to do today that's going to move that forward? Mm -hmm. um, because I've noticed, you know, a lot, lot of the work that I've done with people on goals, um, people have a very strange relationship with goals. There are those who set them and achieve them and then aren't satisfied. Mm. There are those who don't set them at all and aren't satisfied and, and there's a whole range yeah. in between. So, um, so then I bicycled through Africa when I left the army about five and a half years later. And then I became a photojournalist. Uh, and then about 20 years ago, I came across this thing called personal development. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I was like, I don't need that. What's all that about? It mm. just, you know, and I, I think I, because I've been to boarding school, I've been in the army, I had a very kind of macho male kind of approach to life. But, you know, the universe tends to kind of dish us mm. the cards that we need. And I was going through some challenges in my relationships weren't really working very well, my relationship with my mother wasn't working very well, and then someone said, look, why don't you come on this course? And I went on a course mm -hmm. over a weekend, and it was absolutely, it was a revelation. Okay. And really, it was just what I now term to be simple, usual, normal things, which I take for granted, it's kind of become the new norm for mm -hmm. me. But things like, which, and I think the world is changing more and more as we become more aware and more conscientized, is that, um, you know, words like responsibility, mm -hmm. communication, um, feeling, emotion. I mean, those were words were completely alien to me. Mm. You know, I thought you just, you know, if you had a problem, you just suppressed it. You definitely didn't talk about it. Um, and if you went to see a psychologist, you were, you were really screwed, you mm. know. But actually, the reality is that being human is very, it's, a, it's, a, it's not for the faint-hearted, you know. Yeah. Um, so we're processing that sort of stuff all the time, and that's mm. what I do now. So I, I call myself a, uh, a teacher of courage, but, but the market says that, that seems to respond with calling myself a life coach, yeah. a speaker, and a trainer. So it's a fascinating um, journey from, from where you started to where you are now, and it, it's also another indication, I suppose, of the fact that we don't often choose our path, but you know we we learn from what happens to us, and we re we realize, I suppose, in that process what we meant to do. Um, that's not to say, I guess, that everyone knows it that clearly or finds it that quickly um, along the way. But what I'm fascinated to to explore a bit further is, I think the the journey of personal development for if you're the person who's wanting to be developed, or if you're the person who is offering that as a, um, you know, as a support base, or if you're the person helping people along. How, um, how do you deal with the challenges that come with that in the sense of like um, people who don't like to be exposed to their fears? They don't like to be exposed to 
um, being made to feel vulnerable, et cetera, et cetera. You know, I think you, you see that in people a lot uh, as you develop those relationships with them. And I think probably also face quite a lot of um, uh, people saying no because they don't want to be, they don't want those, um, uh, you know, those weaknesses to be revealed. How have you found to overcome that over, over time? Because, um, you know, I think that must be a, a big challenge for you as someone who works with individuals so, so often. Yeah, I, you know, and me, Rob, and me. Mm. You know, I, mean, I would love to say, as we were saying before, I love my fantasies that I get to say, you know, I'm a guy and I've got it all sorted out and I'm really courageous. And I, no, man, I mean, like, there are times when, when I believe, I'm, you know, like, come on, you can, you can do this thing, yeah. you know. And, and I do do things and people say, God, that's, that's brave. But, but there are other times where I'm a complete coward, you know, um, in, uh, you know, in relationships, there are thing, things that I want to say that I don't say because I'm scared. And, and, and hopefully, as we were saying before, it's about having the awareness to go, okay, let's just dissect this a little bit. Is this really, is this appropriate? What I talk about, two distinctions around fear, appropriate fear and inappropriate fear. And most of what we give, I would say, our power, our contribution, our creativity away to is inappropriate fear. So what I mean by that is appropriate fear is you step onto a road and a car nearly hits you and you jump back. That's perfectly appropriate. You know, you hear a clunk in the night, downstairs you go, <gasps> okay, that's appropriate. But most of the stuff that we think is fearful, like classic is public speaking, right? Mm -hmm. Or having a difficult conversation. That's, I, I think if I was to choose one area that I do my best work, that I focus on, is having the conversation that we need to have. Mm -hmm. Whether it's with a boss, a business partner, a lover, or whatever it happens to yeah. be. Because it's hard. Because the fear is it's going to descend into more of an argument. So better just better the devil you know than, than, than mm -hmm. the devil you don't. Just keep yeah. your mouth shut, suck it up. But the problem with that is that we suppress. We suppress our thoughts, we suppress our feelings. And more to the point, we suppress our feelings. And that's cancer-forming stuff. Mm. That's bad, bad news for our health. So, um, you know, what I would say to anyone who is fearful, uh, firstly, me too. And secondly, um, you know, it's, it's just going to continue and it's not healthy. Mm. So reach out, get yourself a coach, mm. a loyal friend, a psychologist, a church minister, I don't know, whatever your thing is. Yeah. Because the research shows that we don't need to talk for hours and hours and hours about this stuff. We don't need to have, you know, be analyzed through months and years of psychotherapy. Mm. Actually, you know, I can say to you, for example, if we're friends, I can say to you, you know, like, can I, can I just download? And you'll say, yeah, sure. And I go, oh, you know, man, my wife said this thing the other day, and I just felt really, like, really angry about it. And, and then you go, oh, okay, is there anything else? I'll say, no. Yeah, I mean, I feel angry, and I'm, I'm also feel a bit sad. But you know, I think I'll, I'll I'm gonna go. Actually, I'm gonna go home and have a conversation with her. And then it's like, done. That is power because you're actually getting to express it. And then that leads into another side conversation, which is men not being very good listeners, right? So what typically you and I do, I speak for myself. I can't speak for you. Is to go, yeah. Why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? And and I think it's the, one of the things that drives women absolutely nuts about us is yeah. that we don't. You know, well, hey, honey, what's up? Nothing. 
really that's not what a heart looks to me right yeah. so i think these 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 fuzzy confusing things called emotions and feelings which we don't really have a lot of education about but i think is becoming we're becoming more and more aware of mm. are super powerful and we need to find tools uh, and processes to deal with these things called thoughts because yeah. it is a mind game uh, you know i absolutely believe that I mean, I think the the concept of fear is is something, first of all, very relevant today because there's so many unknowns and there's so much uncertainty in the world. So I think the fear is probably being perpetuated, if anything. I'm interested to know, because you've probably been exposed to a lot of different types of personalities, is there, are there some conclusions that you can draw from types of how different types of personalities deal with fear? Or is it is it not that simple to, to draw those connections? Well, the first thing I'd say, Rob, I think is that fear is very personal. Mm. So you could do something um, that I think is really brave, but you go, oh, I'm brave, it's just what I do. Right? Mm. And I'm going, wow, it's amazing, right? And then, and vice versa. So um, there's what we do that's comfortable and easy and looks amazing to other people, but it's the, it's the internal reference point of fear. So, you know, it's ironic that there are people who can happily speak very comfortably and confidently to an audience of 10,000, yeah. but they almost find it impossible to have a conversation with their loved one or their five-year-old son yeah. about their relationship. So it's easy to, you know, so we get, we have to watch out that we don't get wowed by people because we've got to, we've got to compare apples with apples. And it's, it's often what we do, of course, is we compare our inside with other people's outside. Mm. And so you and I were talking before also about, you know, authenticity. And, you know, all it takes is for us in our insecure selves in those moments, see someone driving a Porsche and they've got, you know, got those white teeth and they're all looking mm. really cool. But what we don't see is what's going on in the recesses of their mind and their bodies and their relationships and their houses, right? Because yeah. you and I both know as human beings, there's, there's a lot going on for all of us and it, it ain't always pretty, right? Yeah, but I think often, you know, the more glossy the facade, the, um, the more broken the home or the, the, the recesses are, as you, as you mentioned. So, so it kind of gets covered up, doesn't it? Like painted over. Yeah, and people have become brilliant, with, especially with social media these days, at painting a, a wonderful picture, which is very far from the truth, unfortunately. But um, it's, it's interesting how different people confront fear or avoid it. Or, um, you know, public speaking, as you were mentioning, being, being one of those, um, those aspects. And, and something which you coach on quite, um, you know, quite effectively on in, in, in terms of your modules and courses that you run. Speak to us a little bit about the approach that you take to that and, and how, you know, what are the, the stumbling blocks for people that, that are, are not natural public speakers, aren't natural communicators? Where, where do you kind of start with that process? Yeah. So just, just a little bit of background on courage, because maybe as a, some of the listeners might be thinking, what, what, like, what gives them the right to speak about courage or why courage or yeah. something like that? So um, my, my kind of aha moment came about 20 years ago when I was on a bus in London. I was in the process of coming back to South Africa. Mm. And uh, I was on the, on the bus in, uh, in London, in the south of London, called Brixton, which mm. is a, it's a rough, tough part of London. And it was just one of those moments where it was about 11 o'clock at night. I'd been on a seminar and I was waiting in a queue for a bus. 
and the bus pulled up and there was lots of Friday night revelry going mm. on. It was like, you know, that's, that's the time of the week, right? And we all, and there was lots of chat in the queue. I was on my own. We filed into the bus and sat down and every single person, including myself, went completely silent. And I, it was so loud in its silence. Mm. And it got me thinking. I thought, what just happened? Why have we all gone quiet? Like, mm. that's so weird. Even people who knew each other stopped speaking, you know. And that's when I just had this, like, aha moment. It's like, mm. it's fear. It's a fear of being too loud, too northern, too southern, too black, But it's too the white, same as getting young. into a lift, isn't it? Absolutely. Into, Absolutely. I mean, people will be talking all of a sudden. Yeah. And the crazy thing, that's a beautiful example of a lift, which we can all relate to. Mm. Um, but the, the thing about it, the, the, the lift is that we either do nothing, which is what most of us do, and we look up at the ceiling. Or our phones. <laughs> so again, or, or our phones, yeah, phones are very convenient for that. But, and you should test this out, right? Mm. Uh, if, if you don't, and the listeners as well. Next time, and every time you go into a lift, just walk in the lift and just say, good morning, and see what happens. Because what happens, guaranteed almost, yeah. is that you'll get, unless the person's having a really bad day, and it's, it's never anything to do with us anyway, right? Yeah. But is you'll get like what's called mirrored reciprocation. Mm. So why do we have that experience when we go into a lift? Because we're like that, so they're like that. Mm -hmm. They're like that, so we're like that, yeah. right? Correct. So if you go in and the moment you go and do something else, there's a, there's a follow-up to it. Mm. They, we, we mirror each other. So if you go in like enthusiastic and laughing and people just respond, it's, yeah. a, it's the most amazing thing. I heard this brilliant thing uh, a speaker once said. He said um, he got into a lift and it was the typical thing, as we've just discussed, everyone's quiet or whatnot. And uh, he just said all of a sudden, Right, thanks everyone for joining the meeting. And uh, we <laughs> let's let's start on the number one on the agenda. And everyone looked at him like, "Is this guy crazy?" And, he, and by the time that everyone got out, everyone was laughing and having a. But you know what I mean? It's just completely breaking the. I think that. Absolutely, and humour. Oh my word, humour is mm. so powerful, isn't it? There was. Yeah. A, I remember hearing just as a slight uh, aside. I'll get back to, to the bus just now, but the um, there was a global survey, a Gallup survey done on global leadership of. Um, blue chip institutions and they said what were the most important uh, traits of leaders number two of CEOs number two was the ability to build resonance and connection with people mm. number one was the appropriate use of humor for me what I find for, I mean Mandela was a classic example of yeah. that right so for me humor appropriate use of humor you don't want to tell uh, uh, appalling jokes at a funeral, right? Yeah, yeah. But but appropriate use of humour is a very very high level of emotional intelligence in my view, because we can all be grumpy when things are falling out out of the sky around us, right? Yeah. Can we be? Can we have a wry sense of humour when yeah. things aren't? And that's that's really powerful. So humour in adversity, I think, is very powerful. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's. I think talking about fear, it's a, it's a great way to overcome. Uh, environments that are that lend themselves to fear so it's a way, great way of breaking those barriers down I think I mean it's it's interesting as I think as we both do a bit of speaking in front of people um, you know those first 30 seconds of that first minute is critical in how in how the dynamic and the rapport in the room either get created or don't get created so yeah, there's many different tactics of, of how you do it, but, yeah. you know, that's certainly one of them that's very effective. Yeah, and I think, you know, so story, what I've discovered is 
when it comes to communication. Stories are the holy grail. Mm. You know, relevant personal stories, case studies, because the beauty of a story is that I could, for example, I could say to you, okay, Rob, so um, if, you having difficult, if you're having difficulties with public speaking, you need to do this, this, and this. First of all, breathe well, do this, study up, da, 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 recite. Now, all that stuff helps, right? Yeah. But you throw in a story. So if I said to you, you know, right now, so, so tell, me about, um, tell me about your dad. And what was, the, what was the most important lesson that you remember learning from your dad? Yeah. Like rather like we're doing here, you'll, you'll go and you'll tell us the most amazing story with yeah. no preparation whatsoever. Mm. So I think a lot of the nerves and stuff that happens with us, the fear is that we don't, we think we've got to be a certain way. We go up into the head instead of down into the heart and the gut. So this is what I learned on that, on that uh, bus ride. Mm. So I get in the bus and it's all gone quiet and then I have this idea. And the idea that pops into my mind is we'll make a speech. right? And, and I remember thinking, well, now that would be cool, right? That would be a story I'd get to tell my grandchildren or something like that, or my mates, you know. And then, bang, what's the next thought I have? No way. Don't do it. You'll embarrass yourself. It'll be ridiculous. People will laugh at you. You might get punched. Like, all yeah, this irrational all the, stuff, right? Yeah. All the, all the, and that survival mechanism kicking in versus that heartfelt, gut felt, wouldn't it be fun? So you can imagine I had this enormous wrangle between what I now see to be the heart and the yeah. head. To just jump in there, I think it's yes. such an important point that you just mentioned, and it's this whole negativity bias uh, condition that I think we as humans are primed, or we are almost wired in that way, is, is to, you know, we, we are primed and we are wired to protect ourselves first before we put ourselves out to be vulnerable. Absolutely. And it's, from a personal development point of view, I think it's something which when you do start getting out of that comfort zone, when you do start putting yourself out there and you, you don't just get the, the people trying to pull you down, but you start getting the recognition for it, it's a very motivating and a, and a very a strong catalyst for personal development. Um, so it's an interesting thing because, I mean, to make that step is huge. To, to, to put yourself out there is massive. Um, a negativity bias it's it's um daniel kahneman i think his name is he's the the kind of godfather of of um i forget it's his, it escapes me now but i mm. i'm just going to say this because the listeners might want to just make a note of this and yourself as well it was one of the most profound uh talks it was a transcript of a talk by a guy called peter kaufman k-a-u-f-f-m-a-n and it was called um multi uh a multi-dimensional approach to thinking. Doesn't sound like a particularly, you know. But he talks about one of the things he talks about is the is the the that bias that we have. So he gives an example of the lift actually, and he he talks about reading Bono's book, and and Bono basically, in his opinion, kind of nailed it because he recognised that. Uh, for most people, it's a two percent ninety eight percent ratio. So what that means is that when we, uh, the chances of anything really bad happening or even remotely bad are about 2%, mm. whether we, if we speak in a lift or we speak on a bus. But in our, in, in our minds, we think there's a 98% chance of that negative thing happening. Mm. But in reality, it's the other way around. And it's interesting that because, you know, we're all guilty of this, is that we are very self-critical. You know, the way that we perceive us, ourselves and the way that 
perhaps someone in a third-party case perceives us. You know, we are always, a, typically speaking, a lot more critical of ourselves than someone else will be. Um, we do get that small percentage of, of individual who sees themselves as the greatest gift to Earth since sliced bread, but, um, but that, also, that's a very small percentage really, of people. Absolutely. And it's also really important. I mean, I said to you, and you did, you gave a classic, like exactly as I do. I said I, I was complimenting you on your. You know your business and your processes, and you said something like, "Oh, well, gee, you know, it's not how it always feels," or something like that, because because that's the reality. I was having a, this very conversation with a client yesterday, and we were just saying how bad we generally are taking compliments. We we one like in my case, there I should have just said, "Thank you very much. I appreciate the the comment or the compliment." Um, but we again negativity bias. We Absolutely. go back to, and it's so you've you've really got to be conscious about it. Absolutely. So. The bus, so I made the speech on the bus, and I want to tell you what, and the listeners, what I learned from it. So, so I'm almost paralyzed with fear, but I'm also completely inspired. Have you noticed how those two things always go? Like you said to someone, like, are you, are you nervous? Yes. Are you excited? Yes, as well, right? So they always go to yeah. their, their comfort and you know, ease and nervousness don't go together, right? They've got it, there's a polarity which mm. makes it so interesting. So, long story short, I got on the bus. And I stood up and I started speaking to this bus and I, I didn't know what to say. The only way I could get up out of my seat was to imagine I was jumping out of an airplane. I literally could see the lights go, three, two, one, parachute, go, right? So I got up, walked to the front of the bus, turned around, and now I'm facing the audience, right? And there's the full bus as it happened. It's amazing when I look back on it, but there was a full bus, everyone was seated. So it was like, like a perfect audience mm. kind of thing. And I got up and I'm, and I'm just saying to myself, just start speaking and I didn't know what to say I didn't know how to start but something came out and I said as I remember it good evening ladies and gentlemen I've been sat in my seat I've been wondering why we've been so quiet and I think it's because of fear and I'd love to just break that fear and I'd love to do a little speech I'm not drunk I'm not talking about God I just yeah. want to I'm just a guy and I haven't had anything to drink you know I'm just mm. going up the road and then this stuff came out and I spoke about things that mattered to me. I spoke about community. I spoke about love. I spoke about connection. I spoke about South Africa. And I remember, and, and the amazing thing was, there was zero response from the audience. They looked utterly <laughs> bored, <laughs> like they had before, right? And, and so that was a very important lesson. Yeah. Do not judge the effectiveness of what you're saying by the reaction of what's going on in front of you. Mm. Wow, well, the superficial crazy. reaction Absolutely. at least, because that's... you never know what's going on, right? Because often the people, when I talk, and you might have had this as well, people look really bored and like often, and they come up to you often and go, wow, that was such a great talk. You go, what? What did I miss there? I can give you a, a very <laughs> tangible, specific example of a, a workshop I did quite a few years ago. And I, it was in the formative years of what, what, what I've been doing. And it frustrated me that one guy was not, he didn't look like he was engaged at all. Um, and it, it, it affected the way that I was yeah. conveying the, or, or yeah. facilitating the workshop. And at one point, I decided to put him on the spot. I was, you know, I said, stuff this, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you that you need to contribute more. <laughs> and um, I asked him a very, very technical and very specific question about something which was discussed quite a, quite a while be yes. before that. And to my amazement, this guy answered it perfectly. He could not have given a more succinct, more on-point answer. Mm -hmm. And it, it left me 
bowled over. I was, I couldn't believe it. And what it, what the lesson was is that, as you've just said, different people listen in different ways. Um, some people are very passive listeners, but it's it's resonating. So, um, very much to your point. Yeah. And and I love what I could pick up what you were saying as well. Like because we're human, right? And we get to this like like effort. I'm just gonna I'm gonna just. I'm going to pull back the trigger and I'm yeah. going to put this guy in the spot and I'm going to make him suffer for not doing what I think he should do. And yeah. then bang, right? Isn't it interesting? But it's, it's, it's also a maturity thing. Like now I, I look back at that and I think, you know, that was just a silly, silly reaction. But I've also heard Malcolm Gladwell talk on the topic about someone asked him, you know, in, in your audiences when you're talking to people, is every single person sitting there looking at you as if you're the next you know, whatever, and, and he says, no, there are always people that look disinterested, but my focus isn't on them. It's on the person next to them who is truly inspired, and I can see I'm making a difference to you. So it's, um, it doesn't matter who you are, I think there are people there that are not going to look like they're really interested. Yeah. And I think that's important for, any, for anyone overcoming that fear of public speaking or just communicating in a, in a public forum. You know, not everyone is going to look like they are hanging on every word. Absolutely. Now, I must say, with, with the courses that I run, so, so I, I took that experience on the bus. I, I wrote a book about it. It's called The Art of Courage. And then I, and I analyzed it and looked at it and so on and so forth. Uh, and then I put a program together. Mm. And um, the, the program is called Powerful Communication mm. or Speak Up. Right, because yeah. we all can, we can all identify. We need to speak up yeah. sometimes, you know, whether wherever that happens to be. And what I've noticed fascinatingly is that the people who are the most memorable to me are two categories. One, uh, most surprising, you never predicted. One is introverts, mm-hmm. and two is women, which is really interesting to me because there's just a there's an ease uh, and a it's like there's a. It's almost like they've been holding this story and this stuff within them, and it, they've given permission to speak, mm. and they're comfortable, and they're safe, and they're loved, and they're surrounded by people who are on the same journey. And they are absolute. One one particular woman comes to mind. The most quiet, shy, like you wouldn't say boo to a goose. And I remember her story to this day. It's mm. just absolutely astounding. Well, you know the old saying, you can't talk and listen at the same time. So those people are invariably analytical and, and have taken in, Absolutely. collected a lot of dots and, and therefore able to connect Absolutely. the dots. And then, of course, introverts have that challenge, don't they? they yeah. you know, and I've heard this from introverts themselves, is that they hold on to stuff and they don't speak up. And then mm. people like me you know, are happy to speak up. My challenge is to be quiet more in life because it's really good to be quiet, to observe and, and so on and so forth. But my natural way is to... And I think it's also, just a, a little aside, I think it's also a function of being, a, I'm a middle child, middle one of three boys. Mm. And, and there's a thing called birth order theory. I don't know if you've yeah. heard it. So generally speaking, elder children are like that. Generally speaking, middle are like that. What are you, by the way? Are you? I'm the eldest. Eldest. Um, ah, okay. I, I think I exemplify quite a few of the typical <laughs> eldest traits. <laughs> Funny. Um, yeah. but, uh, a responsible, <laughs> like organized. <laughs> Uh, in control want everything <laughs> yeah there you go interesting hey? and you can see you can see the traits you know so for me as a middle child I think middle child syndrome is like I'm not noticed you better notice me right yeah. which is great but 
it then becomes it can become quite exhausting because you, you you know I mean luckily I think I've, I'm getting there as in, in my more mature years but a lot of my life has been quite exhausting like notice me I've got to tell a funny story I've got to be the center of attention and that's actually it doesn't work you know yeah yeah it's a, it's it's an interesting I think uh, depending on our individual journeys and and where that all fits in it's it's interesting to see how people's behavior changes with maturity and and where they become more comfortable to not be the center of attention there's a lot of talk at the moment about um, you know you can you don't have to be the loudest person in the room to have the most impact and you know, funny these days, the introvert can be the best salesman, for example. Best salesman and best CEOs. I mean, 80% of CEOs are blue chip companies, introverts. You know? um, so it's, it's interesting how perhaps as, as society arguably matures, um, people realize that it, it isn't the most flashy individual. Uh, it isn't the hard sell that always wins today. Um, so, so I think that maturity, generally speaking, is an interesting one. Dealing a lot in psychology, and I think, um, you know, as that plays such an important role in, I guess, our sense of fulfillment and also, um, you know, progression in jobs and careers and things like that. What do you feel are hot topics at the moment when it comes to, um, you know, if we talk about fear being one thing, what have you noticed in the people that you worked with that are, are top performers or people that are really making their way in the industry and setting trends? What are some of the psychological elements to them that you've admired and that you've seen as a sort of common thread? So I think um, it's people who give it a go, you know. Um, there's a line uh, in the movie Shrek that is also, you will have heard it probably in your circles, when a, when a young child, very young baby, projectile vomits, you know, down the back of, you know, that, that beautiful, you know, your wife, yours or your wife, Susan, you're about to go off to. Mm. And, and the phrase is, better out than in. <laughs> <laughs> and and that, that's kind of become, it almost feels like my motto or something for this year, better out than in. Mm. When we get it out and we share our feelings and we share what's going on, it's just, ex it's really healthy. Yeah. So the people that I work with are the ones that comes back to courage, I suppose, the ones that are willing to take a risk. Mm. And then be compassionate with themselves and others to go pat on the back for being courageous. Mm, not sure I'd do it that way again, mm. but you know what? So it's instead of being harsh and critical with the feedback, rather looking at it as like, you know, instead of feedback, it's, instead of um, criticism or failure, it's actually just feedback from yeah. the universe. And, um, and I think, uh, so that's what I notice is um, people who are, appear to be more comfortable in their own skin mm. uh, and trusting of themselves and trusting of relationships around us, uh, I think are the ones who I observe are doing really well. And, um, and you, don't have to, you don't have to know it all. You don't know it all. We yeah. know so little anyway. Um, but I've got a particular uh, client, I'll, m I'll mention his name because I know he wouldn't mind it, but he's a um, JP Dominey who's just retired mm. as, a, as a, a professional cricketer. Mm. And he's been the most wonderful guy to work with mm. because he really exemplifies um, better out than in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he, he, um, you know, he came to me, uh, he did my public speaking course, mm. and he'd done he's a pretty accomplished public speaker, and he did it because uh, his, his sister Julia had done it, 
And, um, and, and I said to him, why, you know, why do you want to do it? He said, the worst for me is when someone says at an event, hey, JP, can you say a few words? Mm. That's like, that was his kiss of death because it's like, oh man, what am I going to say? Mm. And, and now he'd say he absolutely loves that because he doesn't, he lets it come. He breathes, he relaxes. He's got a handful of stories that he knows. And then this, this magic shows up, you yeah. know. So I've got an event coming up on the um, on the fifth of March, mm. uh, and he's one of the speakers, okay. uh, and another client of mine who's an international oarsman, and they're going to be talking about their journeys, Brilliant. about goals and stuff, and more yeah. importantly about their failures. And JP, you'll you know anyone who comes to that will see yeah. how incredible he is at that, right? But it, what he'd be the first to say, it wasn't always like that. Yeah. And then also before he speaks, he'd also say the mind is full of noise and. I've got to do it right, and this is what's expected, and so on and so forth. Yeah. But when he breathes and car and is calm, it comes to him, and that's mm. what I discovered on that bus as well. Is that, and the people that I work with is just all that noise in the head. Yeah. Breathe. Sink into your body. Yeah. And you'll know what to say. It's amazing how the physiology plays into that um, as a byproduct, then, because you know your heart rate goes up, your ability to logically think and recall stories, and to um, to reason logically also goes out the window. So it's, you know, you see that even with uh, an inexperienced waiter or someone who's has to serve people for the first time. You know, they can do all of these skills. They can they know how to do it, but because their their mind is spinning and because their heart is heart rate is up, they can't they can't think logically. And I think communicating is a lot about that. You know, often in that moment when you have to make that speech or when you're about to stand up mm -hmm. and go and talk, mm -hmm. the heart rate goes through the roof. You forget half of what you wanted to say. And, and with doing it more and more, you just find that you can just level out and you, you can maintain that logical state. And then, I mean, it's amazing what you, can, what you yeah. can do. And you are going to fail in inverted commas. I mean, we have such a, in our society, we have such a negative relationship with failure. Very understandable because mm. it means something about us. But actually, it's just feedback, you know. And, and one of the things I do in, on my course is get people to sing get people to sing, I invite them to sing. And, mm. and of course, 90% of them is like, I can't sing, and it's not true. I didn't yeah. say sing, you know, beautifully. I just said, can you sing? And what's fascinating is some of them, some of the best singers that have moved the rest of the people to tears have mm. been pretty awful singers. <laughs> because it's not about, we think it's about the, the sound of the voice. It's actually about the heart. Mm. It's it's this person is willing to take a risk, yeah. and I think in in you know the, the illusion of security is is exactly that. You know, yeah. someone said to me recently, people uh, join companies for the illusion of security, and they start their own businesses for the illusion of freedom. <laughs> Very true. Very <laughs> Which I thought was quite good. But but if you know, and it's so easy to say, ah, oh, just do it, right? But. <sighs> It's difficult, mm. you know. Hey, just stand up and make a speech. You and I have done it, but there was a time when you and I did it for the first time and it was paralyzing, right? It was shocking. <laughs> That's the story there. Right? But um, <laughs> you know what is fascinating to draw out of that as a conclusion is, is the game changers out there, um, and I think it's a bit of a cliche by now, but the game changers are failing often. They're failing fast, but they, the, the learning process Absolutely. from there is rapid. And it's interesting, the previous uh, guest that I had on, uh, Mark Fawzi, uh, he started a tech company and he was talking about, you know, rather launch, learn and, re and, and iterate um, 
then try to make perfection up front and then try and release. And it's, it's the same concept. I think if you've got to take your, your MVP, you've got to take your, your minimal viable product to market and test it in the market. You've, you've just got to get up and the do it. The market will tell you, right? Exactly. And it will also um, it will qu more quickly teach you, um, I guess, that you are meant to be there. Um, you know, and I think that's the important thing is the sense of uh, the, the sense of place that you, or the sense of of good entitlement. You speak about, you know, earlier you spoke about good and bad fear. Mm -hmm. I think there's good entitlement and there's bad entitlement as well. Good entitlement being that you're there to add value. Bad entitlement that you feel like you owed something. Um, and and that's it's always an interesting um, conversation that because there's you know you find people and em employees that add great value are in, feel entitled to add value, but bad employees are feeling entitled in the sense that they want something before yeah. they've given anything. Right. Um, it's that's an interesting distinction. I hadn't thought about that before. Yeah, it's it's just one of those things. I guess you you pick up as you meet more and more people as you have as well. You know, you get exposed to different types of of contributors to the world and mm -hmm. and those who, who suck everything out of the world mm -hmm. um, and it's 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 an interesting uh, difference in, in human beings yeah and and you know with the challenges that <coughs> we're going through in South Africa around the economy and stuff I, I when people say to me how's your business oh the economy's bad and oh, yeah. are you okay is everything all right it's like honestly and I don't say this because I'm a Pollyanna or because I'm some sort of you know bullshitty kind of uh, positive guy uh, but my business is only ever as good as the attitude that I have and the amount of times I pick up the phone it really is that simple for me there are people in this country right now mm. making money hand over fist 100% you know so so this we buy into this story you know and, and I mean I, I remember go, I have a client who's at Investec and I remember going to it was in the lift and I was going up and there's elderly chap in the lift and I said to him so you know it was a couple of years ago and I said so you know how are you doing hi morning how are you doing he said we'll see So what, what do you mean by that? And he said, well, well the, the, whoever the Minister of Finance at the, at the time was, was going to be making a speech. Mm. So he was pinning his happiness on whether it was a good speech or a bad speech. Mm -hmm. And that's, surely that's no way to live, right? Interesting. And that's a very, very interesting topic, that as well, in the sense that, and, and tell me what, what you, in terms of your experiences, take from this, but... Those that seem to make the biggest strides the quickest are those that focus on and know exactly what they can control and they focus on that and they leave what they can control to whoever else will Absolutely. do that. Yeah. Oh, you know, and that, uh, thank you for that because it's, it's, it's such a hot thing for me at the moment in my own life and in the work that I do with my clients is that we need to, we can only control the controllables. We can only control our moods, our thoughts, our, what we do, but disproportionately as human beings, we spend so much time worrying about things that are beyond our control, mm. trying to do things that are beyond our control. And, and the beauty of, um, uh, you know, the beauty of that approach is that you, you build confidence, you build good energy, you build opportunity because the rest of it is actually a mirage. It's yeah. a complete illusion, right? So, um, 
that's very often what we do. And I think it's, I mean, Stephen Covey did a, mm. that distinction in, um, what was it called? The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. So widen the circle of influence and decrease the, the circle of concern. Very, very important. Yeah, I guess at the end of the day, it's a lot about um, incremental progress. Um, and I think the, the way to, to make that happen is, is to make sure that you build upon what you've, what you've already done and control what you can control. Mm -hmm. But if you allow the uncontrollables to impact that progress or that psychological state of, of progression, feeling of progression, you, you, you're always going to be pushed back all the time. Like at the moment, if you if you follow <coughs> News Twenty Four, if you follow, you know these channels which just focus on the negative, and they're not the only one, but um, you, you're going to be constantly being pegged back because of that negative negative stimulus. Yeah. So if you actually allow only in what fuels you in a positive sense, um, there's a far different state of progression. Yeah. Out of interest, how do you? Because <laughs> it's a challenge for me. I, I am, uh, I'd like to be better informed than I am, to be honest. I mean, I, I, I guess I'm reasonably informed. But the reason I'm not as well informed as I feel I want to be is because it's firstly time consuming to, to scroll the news and all that sort of stuff. But it's just really depressing, right? Because guess what? You know, good news isn't particularly interesting. Bad yeah. news sells. I mean, I don't know how you, how you I, encounter I think that. Yeah, it's about being very selective about who you um, yeah. who you choose to follow, and making sure that you don't you're not exposed to the yeah. the the threads and the feeds that that do sort of keep giving all of the negative stuff in a recurring, regurgitated manner. Because you know what I always say is, we we know the stuff. Yeah. Everyone's just reposting what we already know. So it's not like it's yeah. revelatory. It's it's just what we already know. Um, but the, the progressive stuff is often stuff that you don't know about. Absolutely. We have no idea how many incremental wins there are going on every day in this country because we don't look for them. Yeah. I'm speaking generally, but there are an amazing number of incremental wins yeah. going on there. Yeah. And it's in our physiology and our nature that we, this is why we, as human beings, we, you know, you and I already today, I mean, we, I speak for myself, I live a life of unspeakable privilege. Mm. You know, from my children, the, the health, every, you know, everything. And yet, you know, what's far more automatic and far more prevalent is, I should have done that, you know, and the, neg I, the negativity absolutely. bias all over again. And, and, I, th and I think it's, it's, again, it's not our fault, it's just our wiring, you know, because if you think about it, it makes logical sense to me that if our sole purpose is survival, then we don't want to get too excited, right? We don't want to get too positive because then we're like setting ourselves up for a fail. So let's just keep it low. You know, don't get too enthusiastic. You know, and definitely, if you moan and complain, mm. then at least, uh, at least you're right. You know, yeah. you get good evidence for that. So, what's the problem, right? Yeah. But it's it's just not very helpful, is it? <laughs> Correct, hundred percent right. It's uh, it's a safer place to be, mm. which sounds ridiculous, but yeah, uh, you know that that negative space is a safer place to be. Mm. The, the problem with that is it kills any form of innovation. Absolutely. It prevents you from being a problem solver in your business, which is where true value comes, you know, in terms of your contribution to your industry or your, or your company. Yeah. Um, and that's where there's a huge deficit at the moment, I think. Yeah. And, and it's who, you know, it's how we are is our greatest asset. I mean, you, you, you as I look at you across the table now, you are, the, that's, you, you know, you have a 
as far as you, know, you exist now, there's a business and so on and so forth. But what I think we underplay is ourselves, mm. that we are the brand of who we are. And how we carry ourselves out. People are watching us all the time, even when we think they're not. Mm. Right? So if, if, we're, um, if we're buying into you know, negative biases and so on and so forth, we're being watched. Mm -hmm. and, and we forget that, that this is who we are. Mm. And that just in who we are, we can make a difference. So I'll give an example. So uh, it's a very funny example, but um, a, a few months ago, I was driving out of Cape Town uh, but slow moving traffic around jogging pace and I looked to my left and I looked again and looked again and I saw a naked man walking along the side of the freeway right completely naked except for what looked like a brand new pair of Adidas royal blue training shoes with three stripes <laughs> now it was kind of uh, yeah. uh, look again odd but I didn't know why it's I couldn't work out why it was so odd beyond there being a naked man. Right? Yeah. So I drove past and then I thought and I looked back and I looked back and then suddenly I got it. And what I realized was, so I didn't know, you know, was he a, was he a nudist? Was he on day release from uh, Falkenberg? I don't know what was going on. But what was really disarming to me was how he was carrying himself. He was just confident. Mm -hmm. He was walking in a way that was just completely normal. And, and, and I noticed this this, this uh, convergence of the two hemispheres of my brain, right? Because yeah. the rational brain going, he's naked, that's really odd. And the, and the right brain, my rational part of the brain was going, there's nothing odd about him because he's being, yeah. he's being confident. Does that make sense? It's, it's amazing. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to picture this all playing out. <laughs> it's very strange. <laughs> it was so disarming because he yeah. wasn't awkward or uncomfortable or weird. He was just... Like you and I would just be walking along the street. It was, it was almost as if he had clothes on. Yeah. So, so we can, it, it, there's a saying which is that, I mean, we're called human beings, right? And, and I think it was Emerson who said, um, who you are being speaks so loudly, I cannot hear the words you're saying, yeah. right? And so our beingness, for want of a better mm. word, is our greatest asset. People buy into us yeah. because of who we're being. And if we can be in a difficult economy, we can be like I experienced you, you know, positive, making things happen, not over the top, but just like, hey, there's lots of opportunity. Let's you know, go find it. You know it, what's right? fascinating about that story is if you go back to the fear aspect we were speaking about earlier, is that's almost the outcome of looking at fear, walking towards fear and making fear your friend in the sense that that man or human being was exhibiting no fear in the, in the sense that he was worrying about what other people perceived him to be. Clothes is, is, yeah. is one thing, yeah. but, but he, was, he was actually just being in the sense that yeah. um, he could pull it off. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I don't know what was going on. Yeah. Right? I have, then there are whole different scenarios, but the, the point is it's the lesson for us, right? You know, and, I, and I said to myself after I saw this guy, I said, you know, I think I should just, I think I just walk around Cape Town for a week naked and just see what happens and, and pull that off, right? Yeah, that's <laughs> it's, another story. It's ill-advised, but, yes. um, <laughs> but nonetheless, it's, a, it's an in interesting example of, I think, uh, when you are, excuse the pun, comfortable in your own skin mm. um, and, and you don't worry so much about, and I think with public speaking, that's a huge hurdle to get over, is when you stop worrying about what people perceive you to be and start worrying about the message, um, the message gets across far more effectively. 
Um, and I think that's something which only really happens. It's much easier said than done. It only happens over time, and I think experiences of different audiences. Yeah, and and exactly that. You can you see people who are they seem to tick every box. They're confident. They're well rehearsed. But they're, you're not left with anything really. Mm. And then other people who don't appear they appear to be chaotic and so on and so forth. But they tell a story, and you're eating out of their hand, right? Yeah. There's there's a TED talk of a guy who it's about eight minutes, and he talks about nothing. He literally talks about nothing. It's brilliant. Yeah. He starts by saying, hi, I'm going to talk to you about nothing. I'm going to look like I'm talking, but actually I'm wandering over here and I'm saying this. And, it's, and, and I challenge you, you know, to challenge you to watch it because you watch it. You know that he's talking about nothing of any value whatsoever, and yet it is completely engrossing. Amazing. It's, it must be a great um, resource for anyone who's wanting to focus on not mm. content but delivery because mm. obviously the delivery must be strong. Yeah, but we get attached too much to the delivery sometimes and we forget that, as yeah. someone said to me once on one of my courses, they said, we make decisions emotionally and we support them with logic, not mm. the other way around. How many, I mean, you and I, we bought yeah. stuff and there's no sense in what we bought, right? But we just wanted to buy it. Very true. It's almost in another sense like creating an app and then trying to find the reason why you created the app after yes. the <laughs> after the fact rather than actually having the reason first and foremost and then yeah. designing the app around the problem. Absolutely. And in your work, in a lot of the work that you do right, in retail, I mean, we buy people in retail, right? I mean, we've had conversations about this before. You walk into a shop, you know, and if and you, you can be eating out of someone's hand because of they they care, they've got it right, their manner, their relationship, and we so that's a perfect example of how we buy people we don't buy yeah. things absolutely I think you know we buy people in the sense that we, we, we buy authenticity we, we buy that personal brand first before we buy the product or the consumer product that they um, trying to sell but I think there's a huge lesson in the sense that um, we, we, we don't buy perfect we buy what we can connect to and I think what you teach and what you've um, the lessons that you bestow upon your, your students uh, and your clients is so important in that notion of how do you come across as being authentic. We all have fear. The, the better ones of us run towards it, the better that we embrace it as a way to, to know how to improve versus those who, who just avoid the truth and, you know, flatline and stay the same. So it's, it's a fascinating, uh, you know, personal development, human People development is, is something which I don't think there's one answer for, for everyone. It's about following your own journey. And, and I think what you do to help people explore that is, is hugely yeah, important. Yeah. Um, and I think, I remember it was one of your questions, I don't know if you could ask it, but um, around communication. And I think, you know, with the advance of AI and all of that stuff, you know, I mean, jobs, are, as we speak, are falling by the wayside, right? So, you know, even, heaven forbid, you know, accountants, doctors, those that would, that would always be, you know, exist. Will they? Let's see, right? But where, I think the, I wouldn't say the last to go, but, but, but I think, uh, and this is just not my view, but, but that's a, a lot of what I've read is that communication is one of, if not the most important skill, because machines can't do that yet. And, um, and most of us are really ill-equipped to deal with it. Yeah. So uh, it's a big, it's a huge market, isn't it? It is. It's a, it's a topic which we will get answers, I suppose, in, in good time. But um, mm. what becomes replaceable and what doesn't um, <laughs> is a fascinating 
you know, the, the notion that a di that a diagnostician has a less chance of having a job versus a, a hairstylist is <laughs> quite crazy to think if you think about the work that goes into becoming a um, an MD, etc. So, yeah, it's fascinating. Mm -hmm. We we tend to ask this question always towards the end, and yes. it is always an interesting one to see the different answers. Yes. Um, in the in the sense of if you had to, um, if you could only visit one restaurant for the rest of your life, the, the thought of it seems ridiculous. <laughs> what, um, what would that restaurant be and why? Yeah, this completely stumped me, um, but it was good because it made me think. I, I don't go back to restaurants again, generally. There are mm -hmm. too many. Like this, so I've got to go sample each one of them. Yeah. Um, so that's that's the first point, and then I th and then I thought to myself, okay, so well, mm, if there was one, what would I do? And what where I went to in my mind was uh, India. When I went to India, when I was aged eighteen, I left school and went travelling on my own to India. It was monumentally impactful for me. And so, if you said, okay, you've got to pick one genre of restaurant, I would say like street food in India with um, I. I adore samosas probably a little bit too much but um a samosa and a cup of chai tea which was you know always sickeningly sweet and and almost gooey yeah. uh in, in it's kind of um, buffalo milk and tea and samosas that i just could eat and eat and eat and, yeah. and of course it brings back it's all, all emo it's an emotional experience right mm. so it brings back an awful lot of memories so it's not a very good answer but that's no, that's what comes to mind it's a very unique one and i think that's that's all that matters <laughs> mm -hmm. Um, as we end off the interview, what's next for, for Sai in terms of uh, the year ahead and, and, and where, more importantly, can, um, can, can our listeners get hold of you in terms of what, what your work is and, and what you're offering? Thank you, Rob. I think uh, I spoke to you before about focus. That's mm -hmm. what came to my mind when I was preparing this. <laughs> I haven't spoken much about it uh, in this, which is quite interesting. But, but uh, focus, yeah, focus is the key thing I, uh, for me. I am... Uh, I'm a creative person. I like new ideas. You know, I'm confident when I speak to people most of the time, and and and. But I, I battle with focus, mm -hmm. uh, and particularly running my own business. I'm, I'm in many ways, I'm the worst kind of profile to run my own business because, because I like new stuff and new ideas. But the reality is, you've got to focus. Mm -hmm. um, so for me, it's a year of focus. It's a year of tying down my brand and. Um, at the ripe age of 53 actually growing up and really taking my business to another level in terms of the seriousness with humor but the seriousness with which I take my business so that's a big thing for me and um, so I'm looking at doing more consistency which I think speaks to focus as well so consistent uh, courses consistent events and um, and the like so that's my big word this year is focus and I think it's it's there for a lot of people as well. It's yeah. an important word for, for people. So, so yeah, and in just in terms of getting in contact with me, I think the, the easiest thing is just through my website and then you can go from various social media platforms and bits and pieces. I love, you know, for me, social media, I've had, like many of us, an intense love-hate relationship with it because sometimes it feels woo, all about me. But I, I see social media as an opportunity to connect yeah. with people re in real time. So... So that's really what I want to do with people. I would dearly love people, anyone who wants to come, just reach out, you know, yeah. send, me a, send me a message and let's connect because we can have more conversations like these, which is really, Absolutely. really important. So yeah, so it's Simon Eakin and um, 
and you can tell I've done this a few times before, but, but, but what I always say to people is uh, uh, Simon, like simple Simon, and uh, my wife hates that because she says simple is awful, but actually Einstein said, Albert Einstein said that simple is the highest level of cognitive prowess above genius. Interesting. Yeah. So simple Simon, and then Eakin is my surname, which is like Nike backwards. So if you do Simon Eakin, you'll, you'll find me. Good way of explaining it. Sai, so thanks very much for your time. I think it's been a, a really insightful conversation, um, one which I've certainly enjoyed. And, uh, and we look forward to having future ones, but thanks for your time. You're most welcome. Thank you, Rob. And thanks to the listeners. That's it for today, guys. If this episode brought you value, please do subscribe to the podcast series. And for more information on building your organizational culture, visit us at rcaconsulting.biz. We'll see you in the next episode.